Coming up on the show today is my interview with Sham Sharania of The Athletic and Stadium, who dove deep into the story that he wrote on Kenny Atkinson's firing. And before that, I go through some of the facts in NBA history that at least let people know that firing your coach, if you're a contending team, is not the worst thing in the world. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Brian is not with me, but who is, is Sham Sharania of The Athletic, of Stadium. He joined me for about 15 minutes to talk about the story that he reported today for The Athletic, which is dives deep right into the locker room scene leading up into Kenny Atkinson's dismissal, mutual parting of ways this week. Uh, Sham says a lot of really good detail, and he added even more detail within our interview. It's a must-listen honestly, if you're a Nets fan, because you get to learn a lot about the workings of the team and the power structure that is now developed as the Nets now are looking for a new head coach with about 20 games left in the season. If you want to read that story and you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash glue guys. That will get you 40% off an annual subscription, a pretty great deal. And particularly with this story, you'll want to read it and actually see it as opposed to getting the quotes taken out of context. One thing I did want to get to, though, as we now sit here a few days after Atkinson's firing, for sure it was an emotional hit. I mean, you know, the fan base had kind of grown along with Atkinson. He took a team that was horrific and had no hope and turned into a team that was able to sign Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Had a good enough situation to where those two stars decided, I want to play for the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, we can all appreciate what Kenny Atkinson did for the Brooklyn Nets. But I do want to point out, like, this is not the end of the world. This is not the end of the Nets franchise. It is the end of the Nets sort of culture and their ethic that they had built up over the past few years. But that doesn't even necessarily mean that things are going to get worse because they're ending that ethic, the development ethic. And I just kind of went back on a basketball reference and did a little research about the history of the NBA, as I'm one to do. And I just looked at teams who have won the NBA Finals, how they got their coach, and when did that coach arrive on their team. And, I mean, immediately, we have the perfect example in the Toronto Raptors. They had Dwayne Casey there. He wins Coach of the Year. He's fired after winning Coach of the Year. They hire Nick Nurse. Of course, they get Kawhi, and they win a championship. Go back to the 2016 Cavaliers. During the season, they fire David Blatt with a 30-11 and 11 record. Ty Lue takes over, possible Nets head coach, next head coach, maybe not, depending on reporting. The Cavaliers win the championship in a season where they fire their head coach, who just went 30-11. and 11. 2015 Warriors, they had fired Mark Jackson, they hire Steve Kerr. In his first season, they go 67 games and win a championship in 2015, and then they win one in 2017 and 18. So even from 2015 all the way up to this past season, the coach that won a championship took over for a guy who was fired during the season or was just fired the season prior, and those coaches, Dwayne Casey and Mark Jackson, were successful coaches. You can look to this year, 
the two best teams in the NBA this year. The Bucks fire Jason Kidd. They hire Mike Budenholzer. He wins 60 wins in his first year. And now in the second year of Mike Budenholzer's team, they're a juggernaut who heading to maybe a potential NBA championship. The other team who has the best chance of winning the NBA championship are the Los Angeles Lakers, who fired Luke Walton at the end of last year and have now hired Frank Vogel and they have the number one seed so far in the West. Continue to go back into the history of time, and I I can keep diving into these details. You have Dwayne Wade's first championship with the Miami Heat. Stan Van Gundy was the coach, coached them to 21 games throughout the 2005-2006 season, and he was pushed aside for Pat Riley, who came in, who won 41 out of 61 games, and ended up winning a championship that season. The 2000-2002 Lakers, the the Kobe Shaq Lakers who won three straight, they had Del Harris. Del Harris wins 61 games. They fire him the next season after 12 games where he won six and six. They eventually then hire Phil Jackson, who then wins three straight championships immediately. You have the 80s Lakers, and the 80s Lakers are so crazy and interesting, kind of tragic in a way. So you have Paul Westfall, who takes over for Jack McKinney. Jack McKinney was a coach who was brought in. He was an assistant with the Trailblazers during the Bill Walton Trailblazers. McKinney was brought in to bring up an up-tempo offense while the team had just drafted Magic Johnson. McKinney was brought in to basically build the Showtime Lakers. And McKinney gets into a car crash that leaves him with severe injuries, head injuries, and near-fatal car crash. Paul Westfall, his, his assistant, takes over that season, so it's a little bit of a different case. But they win the championship that year. Westfall's interim year. The next season, the Lakers lose in the first round. The season after that, Westfall is fired 11 games in. Pat Riley takes over, and they win a championship that year, and then Riley goes on to win three more championships. The Bulls, Jordan's Bulls, Doug Collins takes the team to the Eastern Conference Finals. He's fired. Phil Jackson, a name that we know very well, is hired, and within two years, he wins first of six NBA championships that he would win as the Bulls head coach. And you can even go into teams that like you don't really think about in that way. The Detroit Pistons with Chauncey Billups, So they've Rick Carlisle. He wins Coach of the Year in his first season. The second season, he takes the Pistons to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then he's fired because they hire Larry Brown, who then wins a championship in his first season. The Spurs, we all point to the Spurs as this this monument to stability, and they for sure are. But even before Pop, the guy before Pop is named Bob Hill. Bob Hill wins 62 games, and then he wins 59 games. And then the next season... He's fired after 18 games because they go 3-15. and 15. Pop, who was the executive of the team, takes over on the bench. The Spurs tank. They get Tim Duncan. And in Duncan's second season, Pop's second season as a full-time head coach, the Spurs win their first of five championships over 15 years. It's much rarer that a team that goes on to win the championship is coached by the same person before that point going forward, and then the stars get there, and the team grows together, and then they end up winning a championship. The examples are Eric Spolster with the Heat, who, if we all remember, Spolster was nearly... There's so much pressure on Spolstra, and it felt like he was nearly going to be let go when LeBron, Wade, and Bosch were all together. But Pat Riley and the Heat maintained, and Spolster stayed on the Heat bench, and ended up winning the championships that he did with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. The Celtics kept Doc Rivers, and they won a championship with him. He was there before the team, you know, got to that elite level status. And the Mavs kept Rick Carlisle, who was let go by the Pistons. They kept him, and then they won a championship, obviously with Dirk, that magical championship. You can even go back further, like Chuck Daly of the Pistons, when the Pistons won their championship. Chuck Daly was the coach for a long time, was there as the team progressed, and then ended up becoming a championship winning coach with that team. 
But most likely, I mean, in in most cases throughout the history of the NBA, it was a decision to get rid of a coach that then very soon after, either within that first season of the new coach or in the second season of the new coach, that the team ended up winning a championship. Is that going to happen with the Nets? We don't know if that's going to happen with the Nets. More likely than not, that is not going to happen. But having a coaching change does not prove to be an exact negative. It can be a negative. It can be uh, a detriment to culture that is built. And that's what everyone's concerned about with the Brooklyn Nets. But if you just go through the history of the NBA, making a coaching change is often one of the pivot moments for a team ending up becoming an NBA champion. So we'll continue to talk about, gosh, who the next Nets coach will be. Uh, We'll talk about you know, what the team will look like under Kyrie and KD, who will be playing with them, what this means going forward. But coming up right now is this Sham Sharani interview, and I think it'll really let people know what exactly happened to lead up to this sort of shocking moment that we had on Saturday morning that Kenny Atkinson had been mutually agreed to parting with the Nets. Before we get to that interview with Shams, though, all week we're going to be hearing about win and you're in, which means it's conference tournament time. Who's going to be representing the Big East in March mania? Well, no by Sunday, and what I know right now is DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, can get you in on all the college hoops action. As the madness begins, DraftKings Sportsbook has great promos and odds boosts happening all week. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK for a limited time. All new users can get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Do not forget. Enter code QUICK and get your sign-up bonus of up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times played through. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. First, you wrote a extremely well-sourced, detailed story on The Athletic, and I urge everyone to go check it out before even listening to this interview. But while reporting that out, what was the, sort of the detail that stood out to you, maybe surprised you the most throughout all of it, something that during the reporting that really kind of opened your eyes about what was going on behind the scenes in Brooklyn? Yeah, Mike, I, I think really the lack of, you know, I think communication and the fact that, you know, there, there was just never... The sides never seemed like they were fully on the same page, you know, from the players to Kenny Atkinson. You know, last year was such a great surprise season for them. And then you integrate two all-star caliber players. Obviously, that's a position that any organization wants itself in. Um, That's the pressure that you want. And, you know, I think just the way it developed to where, you know, early in training camp, just the offensive structure that Kenny Atkinson had in place, players just were not going for it. And there was never that open line of communication between Kenny and his players about, you know, how could we tweak this? How could we tweak that? You know, he was pretty strong willed and stayed with, with his, you know, with his systems. And um, I think this past week was definitely a major, major telltale week, a major sign. You know, you had multiple events. He lit into the team at halftime on Tuesday in Boston. And that was another sign that Kenny was going to go out his way if he was going to go out and he was not going to hold back. And then Wednesday after the game was a lot more calm, a lot more serene. And every side, every party involved from the coaching staff to the players all put everything on the table. And they went at players. They went at each other. You know, the players expressed everything that they felt wrong about how Kenny Ackman had been handling the season. You know, from uh, the hierarchy, the, the definition of roles, 
um, you know, just just really making it clear what they felt needed to be fixed and that that the sides, you know, wanted to have something better, you know, this get out of this, the, the status quo. And when Kevin Durant chimed in, I think was the most notable part of it all. And this is a guy that hasn't played all year, won't play till next season. And when he chimed in and pointed out, like, listen, we have to improve our habits. Like, this is not how you build a culture of championship contention. And I think when Kevin Durant speaks, everyone listens. And I think that was definitely a, a, a major critical moment uh, throughout this whole thing as well. And I think what a lot of people are wondering is about why the decision was made now. And, you know, we we are told in the press release that it was mutually agreed to. Was it mutually agreed to? Was Kenny, did Kenny have some agency in this? And why did this happen right now? I think just a a culmination of everything over the course of the year. Um, And then last week, this last week was very, very important as far as the deterioration of Kenny Atkinson's you know, I think voice within the team. I think it, it, it was, you know, probably it diminished it greatly. And, um, you know, I, I think there was an understanding on both sides that this was going to come inevitably in the summer, um, that all the stakeholders involved from the front office to ownership to um, the star players, you know, any, you know, Sean Marsh has made it clear, you know, this is a player driven league. It's a player empowerment league. And that discussion, that conversation was bound to happen in the summer. And, so if you can get ahead of it, and I think, you know, I think we laid it out is what Sean Marks and his front office had to do was gather all the information, all the intel that they had. Um, they knew what was going on. And at that point, you need to make the best decision for your franchise. And if it means getting out ahead of something, that's just what it takes. And I do think when they had that frank discussion and both sides kind of agreed that, you know, your voice just isn't the same anymore. Um, like you've lost this team and it, it's unsalvageable. It's something you won't get back. And I think at that point, Kenny is like, listen, if you're going to fire me, just get it out of the way. I'm done. Right. And and so a lot of people are wondering also, too, how involved Joe Sy was in all of this. You know, Joe Sy is a new owner. He's an extremely successful businessman who that type of person is also typically involved. And they're not really a hands off manager. Do we know anything about Joe Sy's role? Did he have any conversations with players or is that still a mystery? I, th- I think Joe Sy has been conversational with players over the course of the whole season. I haven't heard any level of you know significant impact that he had on this. Um, that is that remains unclear. Um, I mean, but listen, he's the owner of the basketball team. I mean, he's the owner of the entire franchise, of the entire business, and so for him not to have a voice would shock me. And I don't, I don't think it was that. He definitely was involved with the process. And so, and you really zero in on this one moment after this 39 point loss at home to the Memphis Grizzlies, a team that, you know, really, I don't know what the Vegas line was, but the Nets at least should have been competing with at home. And there was this really frank discussion in the locker room. What was sort of the tenor of that conversation? And, you know, you speak specifically about players challenging other players. What was kind of happening in the locker room at that time? So, you know, Kenny Atkinson had his normal post-game coaches meeting and he emerged from that meeting. I think very, very, I think he was very defiant. Like, let's get this all out there on the table. You know, let's, and, and, and I do think it was calm. You know, like I, like I described, this wasn't like Tuesday at halftime where he was very emotional and heated. This was, you know, like him sitting down in the front of the room in kind of a, a, a group setting, a, a, a circle table reading type setting know crosses his legs and said guys like let's air this all out let's get this all out in the open and I think immediately a lot of the players started to zero in on you know what went wrong that night and what went wrong was 
you know, Spencer just wasn't, Spencer Dinwiddie didn't play like the Spencer Dinwiddie they know, the near all-star. DeAndre Jordan just didn't bring in. And as we also reported, Jordan and Kenny Atkinson had exchanged words during the game about uh, the coaches' rotations. And so when you factor all those things in, I think that there was a lot of player discussion. And then, it be, and then Kevin Durant chimes in. Um, and, and in those same discussions, I was also told, like, players made it clear to, to Dinwiddie, like, you're our best player. You know, we need you to play like our best player. Otherwise, we're going to get smacked like we did tonight. And I think, obviously, um, you lose as a team. You know, anytime you lose by 39 points, that's a team loss. That's not on one player. And so there were a lot of, you know, a lot of just bringing up, how, like, how do we get to this point where we lost, like you said, to the Grizzlies, you know, just absolutely smacked at home. And then when Kevin Durant chimed in, I think that was the most notable part. And his message was short. It was sweet. And it got straight to the point. Um, and then, you know, Kenny Atkinson got his two cents in and, and called some guys out and said, you know, I, I think that this guy or that guy should have stepped up in leadership. And at the end of the day, I think the players also then went back at their coach and, and started to critique him like the way I described earlier in terms of saying we wanted we want you to communicate with us better. We want you to define these roles and, and like we can't settle for being OK and settle for just having the status quo. Do you think so? There's a belief out there now that we do know now that it felt like no matter what was going to happen for the rest of the season, barring, of course, a run to the NBA finals, which wasn't going to happen, that Kenny was going to be out at some point this summer. And it just happened now. It happened early. But do you think that that it was possible that pretty much Kenny was doomed from the start, essentially, that whether it was Kyrie, KD, DeAndre, they, they basically knew early on that Kenny was not the person that they want coaching them in the 2020-2021 season. You know, I think it's unfair to say that it was something right off the bat. Now, now there were issues, right? You know, I, I went to New York early in, in training camp, and I could already sense that there were some issues with the offense. And so those issues started early. And at that point, you know, you kind of just massage it, you navigate it, you see if it gets better, what changes, you know, like this is a very fluid situation. And so there were there were ebbs, there were flows, but for the most part, it, it, everyone involved could see where this was headed. And you know, as we reported, there was a growing belief that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving did not want to play for Kenny Atkinson when this team was whole again. Again, these guys did not, from what I'm told, go to the front office or go to ownership and say, we want Kenny out. Uh, you know, we want a new coach. But at the end of the day, it is the front office's job to gather this information. And if they do have this information, it doesn't even have to come from those guys. You know, it could come from several different parties. It can come from other players. It can come from you know, their camp. Like, it could come from so many different areas. But it, it's about what you do when you gather that information in the front office and get, getting out ahead of something. And I think that's what uh, this franchise did. There's a characterization of Kyrie Irving that is out there that is partly tied to the, what actual events that happened in the past, that he's a disagreeable personality towards coaches, that he, he makes it difficult to coach him in certain circumstances. But reading your story, it didn't feel like Kyrie was a completely central player into what happened this past weekend with Kenny Atkinson's departure from the franchise. Beyond what maybe conversations that he had, do we know how influential Kyrie was in all of this? I think I think you know him and Kevin Durant had a voice, had a, had a you know had an opinion, had um, had made their feelings felt to to people behind the scenes and people that matter. That listen, this is just not the guy for us. And again, this goes to all all facets of the locker room. You know, I'm told that it impacted. No, honestly, we reported it impacted DeAndre Jordan and impacted, you know, a guy like Torian Prince, I think, was unsure about his role and where he fit in and never felt like there was that level of communication there with Kenny Atkinson as head coach. And so 
when you factor all those things, and again, you can't always put it on those two guys. There were eight new players on this team, or however many new players on this team. But at the end of the day, those are your two cornerstones, right? And those are the guys that you know. Like, those, that, those two guys are the reasons why this team has championship aspirations going into next season, no matter who the coach is. If it's Jock Vaughn or someone else, this team has championship aspirations going into next season. And so, you know, those two guys are the ones who are going to deliver you to that point. For them not to have a voice or not to have a say would just be negligent to believe. So I, I have two more questions, and I'll let you get out of here. The first one is on Deshaun Marks. It's that, you know, we've already seen Kenny Atkinson. Those two guys came in essentially around the same time marks hires atkinson and we know they have a very close relationship now atkinson's gone how solid is it as solid as ever is marks's place in the team is there any discussion or any belief out there that marks maybe there's increased pressure upon him not necessarily that it'll be out but there's increased pressure no i haven't heard that i think that um you know i think this was a very big week for for him and for this whole organization and um you know he went you know, out of his way, you know, I'm told that in, in terms of going and communicating with the players all week, and there's there's no question that line of open communication was there between him and his front office and the players. And so I think that goes a long way. So I don't think that there's been any lack of trust on that aspect. And then the last one is, who are some of the names that you're hearing? Poss- I know it's way early in the process, and obviously this was a surprise firing in some sense, but or mutual parting of ways. But who are the names that you're hearing for next coach? And, and what are the Nets even looking for in their next coach? I have not heard any solidified names yet. You know, like as I reported in the story, the Nets are pretty, you know, are, are pretty open about the fact that they are fully focused on this coaching staff. They like this coaching staff beyond just Kenny Atkinson. They like a lot of the guys, the development guys, you know, the, the three, the two, three, four, five rotate you know assistant coaches like there's a there's a lot of love there still and so it's you know it would take the probably the perfect candidate to i think change things up you know on a grand scale um but listen i'm I'm sure they have their own you know kind of quiet small list but i haven't gotten a sense of what that is yet and i'm sure whatever guy they hire next is gonna fill some of the voids that you know kenny atkins may not have which are like communicating with their players and um, you know, at, to a really, really high level and really having a partnership with, with your stars. Right. So it wouldn't be ridiculous to think, you know, people, there's again, some fear that, oh, it's just going to be someone that Kyrie and Katie picks. But it, I mean, honestly, it's really, they, they should be consulted because that's the guy that's going to help coach them to hopefully take them to a championship, right? Like it makes sense that they would be involved in some way in the process. Yeah, I mean, I, again, it would behoove Sean Marks to, you know, you know, to not, you know, not include them. Like, I, I think that it's smart, and um, again, that that's up to them, and that's that's their own internal discussions and how they want to operate. But you're right, like, you know, the, the next coach is the guy that's going to have to have a partnership with his star players, and so there's not any any anything lost in translation. Like, we hired someone, did not get any input from the players. And that's just what it was. And so I don't I don't think that they want a situation like that. Either. All right. Well, you can read his story. It's really I mean, there's a lot in there more than just what pops up on Twitter or any phone notification. There's actually really strong detail in the story. So please dive in and read the story. Shamsharania, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it.